Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Uh, thank you so much for coming to tonight's event for Made in LA. Before we get started, I wanted to mention a couple of upcoming events. On Thursday, July 25th at 7.30, we'll be hosting Kristen Arnett for her new novel, Mostly Dead Things. Then on Thursday, August 15th, also at 7.30, we'll be hosting Gia Tolentino for her new collection of essays, Trick Mirror. For more info about our events, please check our website, skylightbooks.com, or pick up a flyer at the front counter. That's back that way. Uh, as usual, please silence your phones or turn them off completely, but feel free to use social media and the hashtag skylightbooks. Copies of Made in LA, both volume one and two, can be purchased behind you at the front counter. Uh, we have several readers joining us this evening, uh, as well as editor Cody Sisko. Uh, I'm going to introduce him, and then he'll take it away. Uh, Cody Sisko is the author of speculative fiction that straddles the divide between plausible and extraordinary. His Resonant Earth series includes two novels thus far, Broken Mirror and Tortured Echoes, and a short story prequel, Believe and Live. The third novel in the series, Altered Bodies, will be published in 2019. His startup book swell <laughs> makes the book scene in LA easier to navigate, introduces readers to new writing, and weaves together digital and real-life literary experiences, such as this one. Uh, please join me in welcoming Made in LA this evening. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out here tonight and sharing uh, this celebration with us. Made in LA Volume 2 is out now, and that makes us really excited. I am going to introduce two amazing human beings without whom this would not be possible, Allison Rose and Gaby Lorino, two of the co-editors for Made in LA. Come on. Come on up. So I am not going to say a lot tonight. The one thing I want to say is that um, about a year ago, most of the stories that appear in that volume hadn't been written yet. So it's really exciting for us to be able to take the, the current and most um, uh, contemporary expressions of, of literary uh, imagination and to bring them to you, and it's all mostly new. <laughs> so with that, Allison. Hello, everybody. I am Allison Rose. Thanks for coming out to the Made in LA Volume 2 book launch at Skylight Books. It's very exciting to be here. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background on what Made in LA is, how we got here. Um, maybe it was a few years ago, was it not? 15? I think it was. Um, all of us, well, Gaby was still working on hers, but Cody and I were baby writers, and we had just begun our journey in the self-publishing independent uh, publishing world. And we met at an indie author day in Alhambra and we ended up keeping in contact, thankfully. And we, he had his first booth at the LA Festival of Books the next year and said, hey, I'd love to have some company at this booth. I don't want to be sitting there by myself schlepping books. Nobody wants to come up to me <laughs> just sitting there waving at people. Um, and that first 
uh, year. It was myself and Cody, and it was another author um, who's unfortunately no longer with our group, but we were, and Gaby was here as well, being an awesome um, candy. Yes, she was, no, she was, she was a great supporter. Um, and we found that there were a lot of people coming up to our booth and asking us if we were actually writers writing about stories of L.A., because on our banner behind us it said, Made in L.A. Writers. We wanted to have some sort of a, a group uh, title for ourselves, and we just kind of came up with this title, not knowing what it would mean for the next year, and people said, where are the stories about Los Angeles? And we said, oh, that's a great idea. We need to give what the people want right now. Um, so we came up with this idea to have the first anthology, and reached out to many of our author friends, and they gave us some stories. We put the whole thing together, and then very next year, we sold out at the LA Times Festival of Books. All of our books, yes. Thank you for everybody who showed up. There are several of you here that have shown up every time, which is amazing. We had a few events last year uh, promoting the first volume, and now we're out. We have a few events, and we're going to have those dates for you later in the evening um, to promote volume two, and it's very exciting to be here. So um, on another note, if any of you are writers and you have stories about Los Angeles or inspired by, we're going to be opening up submissions for volume three, August 1st. You can go to our website, madeinlawriters.com, and you can get some details of where and how to submit. Um, it's very exciting to be telling these stories and promoting these stories in Los Angeles, and this is the heart of Los Angeles, so be inspired, write some stories, and let them be heard. So now, off, I'm going to hand off the microphone to Gabby Lorino, who is going to talk about how Made in LA Volume 2, Chasing the Elusive Dream, came to be. When you knock on a door and it opens, it feels wonderful for a moment, and then it's time to figure out what comes next. We were really stoked to set up the Made in LA banner for the first time and stand under it, interact with readers and find out what they were looking for. And then when they asked for more stories about Los Angeles, we were excited to deliver on that. Two years, two anthologies, and two dozen stories and novellas later, here we are. Our hope by sharing these stories is to shine some light on more facets of the jewel that is Los Angeles. Now, it's not clear where the phrase don't quit your day job came from. But as fiction writers, storytellers, and other creative types, we know it well. This is why, because we were excited by the popularity of the first anthology, we made another, all the while keeping our normal jobs and our busy lives running as usual. We had to keep paying the bills, after all. And we delved deeper into the stories inspired by LA that we wanted to write and share. Acting on our inspirations, working through the rougher bits, and setting and then resetting some deadlines, it all became worthwhile when our second anthology was born this year at the LA Festival of Books. Uh, we chose our title, Chasing the Elusive Dream, because we're creative types living in Los Angeles, surrounded by lots of other creative types living in Los Angeles, and we recognize that every time that we're dazzled or intimidated or really impressed by a new writer that we come across. Opportunities are everywhere, but each opportunity is not appropriate for everyone. Each of us has to accept this with grace and humility, find the joy in the st storytelling process with the goal of connecting with others through our own self-expression. 
We are really grateful for the opportunities for collaboration, for connecting with readers, for being able to present our works in places like this. Taking the longer view, events like these bring us closer to reaching our elusive dreams, however many and varied they may be. So we want to invite you all to sit back and soak up some good vibes inspired by the City of Angels. Uh, get ready to dream up or remember some LA stories of your own. Remember that all dreams aren't elusive. Some like this one, we can all share together. Thanks. So when we were thinking about what we wanted to do tonight, um, the one thing that kept coming up in terms of the priority was to actually showcase all of the writers who contributed to the anthology. And most of them, there's one exception, he's in Massachusetts right now, but he's on his way back. Um, most of them are here tonight, and that's the point. Um, we, wanna, we want you to get to know them, we want you to become familiar with their names, we want you to be able to seek out their writing uh, going forward. So we're gonna bring them up, there's a lot of them, so what we've asked them to do is introduce themselves, tell them a, a little bit about the story and exactly how LA shows up in their stories. Um, that'll be like kind of a quick lightning round. Then we're gonna have three separate mini discussions um, focused on thematic topics that show up in the anthology. The first is contemporary fiction, the second is LA noir, and the third is speculative fiction. So there's gonna be a lot of movement and stage management happening, but the goal is that you get to know these amazing writers. Um, so if I could bring all of the contributors up here now. And we'll just, we'll go in order that you show up. So like rush, rush, rush up here. <laughs> And I didn't know, um, come on up. Sarah, I didn't know you were injured. <laughs> so uh, please have a seat, I guess. Okay, broke my fall. So Sarah's gonna start us off. Um, Sarah Chisholm, everyone. My name is Sarah Chisholm and I wrote Serenade of the Gangster and my uh, log line is, if you, wanted, if you wanted to hustle, you have to sacrifice. And my uh, story takes place in Mariachi Plaza. Sarah has an active social media account that shows exactly where her inspiration comes from. There are pictures from all over Los Angeles where she draws her um, stories from, so check that out. This is Abby Walthausen. Hi, I'm Abby Walthausen. My story um, is set in the Echo Park Hills at the Paul Landacre Cottage. He was a printmaker, am, am I? Okay, he was a printmaker who um, was working in the early 20th century and he lived in this little cottage that's still there and landmarked by the city up in the hills um, with his wife who managed his career. So kind of the tension of my story comes from a marriage where the focal point is one person's creative practice and how that kind of plays out. Next we have Nolan Knight. Wherever you like. I'll stay here. Hi, my name is Nolan Knight. My story is set in the South Bay. It features a waitress with, who succumbs to a crippling painkiller addiction. I would also say compared, like uh, if you look at volume one and volume two, volume one tended to have a few more ghost stories in it. Volume two has a lot more stories of addiction and obsession and uh, sinking down that spiral. So <laughs> this is A.S. Youngless. I'm A.S. Youngless, and my story is about an orphaned 
uh, werewolf girl who is set in Griffith Park. It starts there and ends there and kind of goes in the valley in the middle. But it's uh, just about finding herself and finding where she belongs. I don't think I'd ever read a story about a teenage werewolf assassin abductee <laughs> before. She uses, her, she uses her transformation to help assassinate people. For hire. <laughs> she gets paid though. <laughs> Axel Mylans. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Axel Mylans. So uh, my story takes place in the valley uh, in North Hollywood. And um, it's about what happened when uh, a former famous actor slash icon is uh, um, pushed to the brink uh, by the demand and the action of his family. Um, so it's a, it's a noir drama. I have to say, uh, your story was one of the one of the stories that gave me the most uh, strong emotional reaction, and it changed throughout the story what I felt. So I, I, that's what I look for in a lot of writing. Charles Gregory Thompson. See Gregory Thompson. Um, my story is set in uh, the, on the Tutin Freeway up in Tahanga, and it's about a, um, a man who jumps off the freeway overpass onto another person's car. The second person in the car is a drug dealer. The drug dealer takes the injured man back to his house and tries to nurse him back to health. Um, the person that jumps is a, an immigrant from Mexico, and the drug dealer is a just a you know like white trash guy up in Tahunga. And that's uh, just about the relationship and how they sort of you know work themselves through their the process. I know there's a lot of writers in the audience. I should also say that um, C. Gregory Thompson runs the pen and paper writing workshop. So also talk to him if you want. And <laughs> this, is my, this is my first time meeting the, the group, the writers in LA, even though I'm in both anthologies. My name is Jude Marie Green, and I don't memorize uh, worth a darn, so I wrote it down. Uh, Luigi Song is my story in volume two, and it's about a psychic girl whose best friend is a California gray whale who sings for her. Um, it's set in the beach. Now, I've got Grunion, so it could be, I was thinking Sill Beach with maybe Huntington Beach thrown in, you know, maybe a little bit of Long Beach, and you know, it has Grunion and uh, earthquakes and uh, fishing globes. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so I'm going to bring up here the contributors to Volume 1 and Volume 2 who've written in sort of a contemporary fiction genre, which includes Abby, Gaby, Andre, and it's on my list right here, and Nick, but I don't think Nick is here. So, you guys want to come up? So Andre was part of volume one. Maybe you can start us off um, by telling us about your story. In particular, the location uh, of his story is in the title. <laughs> uh, the title is called Negro in a Hot Tub. <laughs> and it's about an experience at the YMCA where the, the character meets a man who reminds him a lot of Donald Trump. 
And there's a few people in that hot tub, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Including maybe a Russian dude and <laughs> a few other uh, notable characters. So um, what I wanted to ask the three of you tonight was about you know, a lot of us are looking for inspiration for our everyday. Writers, I've often heard, and I feel it to be true, come to this calling because we feel we have to communicate. We have to get these stories out there. So I want to hear, like, when you decide to set your stories here, what are you thinking about? What are you, what are you worried about? What are you hopeful about in your stories? How does L.A. show up? Am I starting this? Um, well, I guess, I, I don't know, I always like to write the things that are around me. Um, and it takes a while to kind of settle in. I only moved here four years ago. Um, so I kind of, I guess, spent some time getting used to the neighborhood. And actually, before I wrote this story, I started um, doing kind of a walking tour. I'm a teacher by profession and didn't get a job right away when I moved here. So I take, I take people on a walking tour to the Landacre Cottage. And in researching that, I really kind of immersed myself in the history of that artist. And mostly it sounded like a paradise, the cottage up in the hills where people are making art, people are, you know, living in nature. But it also, every once in a while in my research, I came across something that seemed kind of unpleasant between husband and wife, like something that seemed like maybe the life wasn't so great after all. So that's kind of what inspired my story, um, the landscape and the history. I'm, I usually start off with setting. I usually get inspired by looking around and seeing something that that looks like a good setting for a story to happen. Uh, I've been out to um, CSUN a couple times, which is where I set the story, but I also had to kind of jog back in my memory to when I was in college to write the story that I wrote for volume two. But there's, there's uh, narcissists on both coasts who think they're going to be stars, so that wasn't hard to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that really wasn't too hard. <laughs> uh, Gaby's story, uh, College Lessons in Volume 2, has the best uh, soundtrack. It's the best <laughs> playlist as part of it. There's a lot of like 90s, mid yeah. to late 90s alt-rock in there, which I appreciated. Thank you. Um, so I wanted, Abby, I wanted to follow up on something you said about... Um, the neighborhood where Paul and his wife are living, well, first of all, it's interesting that you told the perspective. You didn't tell it from Paul's perspective, right? You didn't yeah. center it on the famous uh, printmaker. It's not from his perspective already. His art and his, like, biographer. He, I guess he had one, one biographer, but, yeah. There's a lot kind of told through his lens, but I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's good. And, and the character that you created, or, or that, you know, that you brought to life, um, she had some specific anxieties about living in Los Angeles. There was a lot of like fear um, that she felt sort of being isolated but close. Do you want to talk about that? Right, right. I mean, it's kind of, sorry, the area, I mean, it still feels a little bit rural, like kind of at the very top of Echo Park before you get into Frogtown. Um, there are a lot of empty lots, but during the time Paul and Margaret Landacre were living there, they, um, there weren't street lights yet. The city had put in stairs. Um, but there were no, there were no street lights. The two highways that kind of like gird in the area weren't there yet. So it felt like a lot more rural. And yeah, I think a bunch of the kind of anxiety of the story is is partly about feeling cooped up there hmm. um, with a character who's a little bit of an art monster. 
um, but partly, you know, not quite knowing the relationship between this like little artist paradise that they live in and this like huge city that's teeming all around them. Like mm -hmm. they're connected by the the red line trolley car then, but not necess but they feel like they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so that's a little bit where the atmosphere of the story comes from. Mm -hmm. Andre, I want to ask you, it's now been a year plus since the volume one came out. Yeah. How do you feel now about the story now that it's out there? And I mean, our, our lives have all continued. <laughs> um, the world is, is what it is. Yeah, you know, I was actually thinking about that earlier. You know, I never intended to write a story that would have such long legs. But I mean, um, that guy continues to amaze me and continues to give me interesting topics to write about. So I was thinking about maybe for volume three, I'll write a sequel to A Negro in a Hot Tub. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested in reading that. Yeah. yeah. What? To what extent? I mean, to what extent does like? anger at injustice fuel, and I want to ask this maybe to both of you, or all three of you, um, injustice in various forms, to what extent does that, does writing become a corrective to that, or is that motivating you? Oh, without question. My, my I write protest literature, 100%. Um, it may be, it may be couched in satire, it may be couched in noir, but I am always attempting to shine a light on what I call injustice. My, we were, I had a bunch of writers over at my house the other day and we were talking about what is the engine that drives your work. Because all of us writers, we have this thing that we sit down and we're, we're gonna write about it. It could look different, but there is a certain engine. And my wife said to me, who's right there, she said, yours is justice. And so I'm, I'm always trying to write um, about justice, no matter what it ends up looking like. I think the thread is always going to be about justice. Katie. Uh, mine is freedom. Um, my characters are always women. And there's always something they're struggling against, whether it's some horrible corporation that they work for or some terrible guy that won't leave them alone or whatever the case may be. I think um, I think if his is justice, mine would be freedom. And I think that's a, a very common thing with women. Like we're kind of socialized to be accommodating and be nice. And then certain people prey upon that that probably shouldn't. So that's, that's where I'm thinking. What's your fuel, Abby? Anything? My fuel. Um, I don't know. I guess. I guess. I mean, both of the. I don't think I have anything original to say after that. I think. I mean, freedom and just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> justice. Justice. Wouldn't those justice really, and freedom be are, enough? Those are so good. <laughs> those are so good. I'll take those as my fuel. Um, but it's interesting because it's like I guess kind of a lot of what I write about is like caregiver roles. So that really ties into what you say. Um, and uh, caregiver roles are really tied up into freedom too. Like, are you exercising a freedom to, um, like, is like taking care of other people, helping people, is that a freedom that you're, is, is that a way that you're kind of 
limited in life or is that a freedom that you're exercising because it's something you want to do? I don't know. I think I'm rambling. But anyways, I <laughs> wanted to follow up on one thing. It was interesting that you talk about um, like kind of writing as freedom because that was one of the interesting parts about your story is that the writing is also kind of limiting your character, Andre, right? It's like this uh, mm. thing that he's trying to like, he wants to like use his writing to break through boundaries and place limits on the character who will not be named the tiny hands, but it's also like at the end of the story, he's got to go to his writing workshop. Yep. It's like, it's time to go to, nope, I can't stand up for this injustice. I need to go to my writing workshop. Traffic is terrible. Um, so that was really funny, but also really like a real struggle, I think. Like yeah. is writing doing, is writing is writing an active way of speaking out against injustice it, yeah. or, you know, does it sometimes feel ineffectual? You know, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a there's a certain approach to the world when you're inside of this black body and black skin that there is a lot of noise that you can actually make and ruckus, but at the end of the day, where does it really get you? And so the story was really about this character who, if you notice in the story, he talks about being unseen. Um, the guy doesn't see him and he's in this this sort of this crazy world where he's screaming inside but he can't scream aloud because he knows that if he does I, there's a point in the story where he says if I touch that guy I'm going to jail yep mm. even though he deserves it if I touch him I'm going to jail so the story was really playing with those those kinds of of motifs of where you know sometimes we want to scream and we want to take action, but sometimes we just have to swallow it and just wake up and try it again the next day. Yeah. We've, I've got like time for one more question, and that's really how, when you're writing about contemporary LA, where everyone feels like it's theirs, you know, they're living in their own story within LA, how do you approach that in your writing? Are you trying to make it feel familiar, or are you trying to make it feel fresh? I'm trying to help people see the parts of LA that they don't necessarily see through the prism of, of I see it. And so when you think about LA, I mean, LA is a character, right? In, it, in and of itself. And it's so big and so huge and such a monster. And you could live here forever and not hit the 350 museums that are a part of LA because we have more, more museums than any other place in the world. So all I'm trying to do is just shine a light on the pieces of LA that I see and present them um, through my prism. Mm -hmm. um, I come from a family that's lived here for many years, um, even though I didn't grow up here. And I, I always want to show what regular people do what maybe the lower middle class out in the valley does. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's such a glamorous area. People don't think about, you know, the, the really buff guys waxing their cars on a Saturday afternoon. But they're there. <laughs> I can't say I write about contemporary LA because my story's set in like That's the true. 30s. But, um, but yeah, I don't know, representing contemporary LA, it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting thing. All I have is my little kind of area that I've, started working on so far uh, but uh, 
It's an amazing city. I'm a carpetbagger. I've only been here four years. <laughs> so historical. You're still baking. Great. Well, I want to thank Abby and Gaby and Andre. <laughs> and Gaby's going to stay up here, and she's now going to lead us through the Noir group. We're going to talk to Allison, Nolan, Axel, and Charles Gregory. Please come on down. Noir is that one word that brings to mind black and white ideas and images that remind us of days gone by just as much as right now. There's lust, desire, greed, being out, overpowered by urges that can't be controlled. Most of all, it's that sidelong look at an odd situation and the commentary in a matter-of-fact voice that reminds us of old Twilight Zone episodes. It glosses right past the good and shows us the bad and the ugly. Tonight, these guys will present their stories through the classic fisheye lens. I'm going to start with Allison. Allison, your story between broken pieces is a um, is a novella, mm -hmm. I, and it is a uh, ho in Hollywood noir style. It's in the first volume, the first anthology. Uh, it had a lot of moving parts, a lot of different characters, and a lot of different points of view. Um, how did you first envision it, and how did it change as you wrote it? Um, I actually, so classic Hollywood. Um, it was supposed to be a screenplay. Um, and that wasn't working. But, um, so I, I really wanted to write this story. I mean, I felt like it was a story that I, I wanted to, to be part of my repertoire. And I found a way to change it into a, a story, a novella, that is told between, told through the perspectives of four different women. And the whole basis of this story, it's, it's based in L.A. The theme of, L, of Hollywood is the industry, as you would, would put it. Um, so as far as locations are concerned, it's, it's all encompassing all of LA, but it's what you know is the kind of typical Hollywood, but also broken down. Um, and so it the way that it changed um, as I was writing it is that I was able to find these four, the perspectives between these four different women. There's a, uh, there is a publicist, there's a therapist, there is a uh, photographer, and also a journalist, a Hollywood journalist. And so it is through their perspectives of this one up-and-coming up starlet and what they see in her and what they can gain from her newfound popularity. And so writing it in this form of a novella, I was able to much more deeply delve into the psychology of each of these four women and how they were different and how they perceived this young starlet differently and the different things they wanted from her. Very good. And how did the noir style capture the moods that you were going for? I never intended it to be a noir. Um, I think Hollywood just kind of plays into that very well. Um, and noir is, it, it is much a, a darker look into a subject. And so I, I, it's got a lot of nihilism and it's got a lot of selfish characters um, and, and the, the whole... Um, system of Hollywood, because that's really what it is. It's, it's, it, it's a business, it's a system, and there's always a person that gets 
uh, taken advantage of, and it's it's from the lowest rung to the highest rung, and whose who's toes are you stepping on to get to the top? Um, and that really fed into the noir theme. I was able to kind of dig into some really nihilistic and, and dark uh, characters. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay. Um, my next question is for Nolan. Uh, Nolan, you managed quite well to capture a woman's voice in your story, Mouth Bay. What inspired the story and what inspired this point of view? Well, the story came about basically as a writing exercise. I didn't, I had never written a female protagonist in the first person. Um, didn't think I could do it. I was in between a couple projects, so I figured now's the time and kind of doodled with it for a couple months. Gave it to my wife. This isn't believable, you know. A uh, couple more months, wanted to throw it away. And then sooner or later started shaping up in a way that I didn't expect when I started it. Um, at the time, I only had a place. And it was in the South Bay, this place called Texas Lucy's. That's, it's all too real. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a poor man's Hooters, I guess you'd say. <laughs> Um, in the in the 80s, it was kind of like walking into a Spuds McKenzie commercial. Uh, nowadays, um, it might be the saddest place in Los Angeles County. Uh, and I thought, what better point to run off with something here and um, and uh, start digging and see see what comes up, you know? Great. Um, and then, how did her main weakness, which was the the chemical, the drug addiction, influence the tone of your story? Well. <laughs> when it first started out, I just had that as a part of her daily repertoire, you know. I didn't think mm -hmm. too much about it. And with months of just putting it aside and being discouraged or um, not wanting to do it anymore, and then forcing myself to do it, I would come across a couple more characters, and then the connection was made months in. And um, and then I ran with that. Like, I didn't initially start out with a, this addiction mm -hmm. story. I started out with just this sad story of a place where people wear fake co cowboy costumes with, you know, assless chaps, basically, <laughs> and deliver prime rib, you know. Uh, and so it, it naturally kind of organically went there, and um, I, who was I to say no and not let right, it go there, right? Exactly. Very cool. Um, we have another uh, question for Axel next. Um, basically, uh, your story recounts the, uh, the family that was affected by the actions taken by a man who used to be the cowboy on the billboard and is now the guy working in the, the video store. Um, what can you tell us about that? You had a lot of, a lot of things going on there. Well, um, so the, the, the story was actually inspired by a, a real event. Um, when, I, when I moved to LA from France about 25 years ago, um, I met, uh, you know, party or something, uh, an, an unemployed actor mm. who, um, who told me that he had been one of the Marlboro cowboy in a, in a magazine ad. Wow. So, uh, you know, with, with my naive perspective uh, from a European point of view and no familiarity with the entertainment industry, I, I thought that the, the guy on the picture was actually a real cowboy and was living in a ranch and uh, wrestling <laughs> cowboy uh, uh, c cattle all day. And, you know, I, w I was shocked to hear that this guy was, you know, living in a one bedroom in, in the valley uh, <laughs> after, after having be represented such a, 
an icon, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, what I want to do is explore that, um, that kind of you know dark comedy and mm -hmm. even tragedy of you know representing or impersonating that uh, American male hero um, mm -hmm. <coughs> when when you're in fact you know more of an average guy yeah. uh, dealing with a lot of problems and issues and so on. So that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. Very good. And um, so I had a second question, but it was basically about the movie business figuring into the theme. Do you have anything to add? Uh, well, I mean, the, the thing that uh, Los Angeles is a perfect setting for that. You know, yes. People are, are never, I mean, not never, but very often not what they seem to be. And uh, uh, there is a lot of that. And, and uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's tragic and it's comic at the same time. So. I think that's kind of the spirit of my story. Very good. Okay, my last two questions are for Charles. Uh, your story, Two Kings, follows a drug dealer and his unlikely apprentice through their time together after they're forced together by circumstance. Uh, one is a white American, as he explained, the other hails from Mexico. Um, they coexist peacefully, but much is revealed about each character through their interiority and action. And what inspired these interactions and inner thoughts that were revealed between the two characters? Um, I've been trying to figure out how to answer this question for a while. Um, I think what, what's not in the question is that the, the Mexican immigrant doesn't speak English right. and the white guy does not speak Spanish. So as a result, when I was writing it, I had to figure out a way to communicate both those characters actions, thoughts, feelings, whatever. Um, and I think that it became that as a result of that. And mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about it until you asked mm -hmm. me that question. It was, I mean, it's just, you know, I was like, how am I gonna write this? So I think that that's the reason why it sort of came out is that, that you, the story is broken up between the two. Um, you hear the, the white guy first and then it goes, switches over to the, the Mexican mm -hmm. guy, different POV. And you hear the white guy's thoughts and his interactions about dealing with the Mexican guy. And then it reverses and the Mexican guy, you hear his thoughts and interactions about the white guy. Mm -hmm. So I think that as a result, that's, you know, okay. what to hope that was it. I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> so hopefully everyone will get to read the story and hear more about what I was asking about. Um, and then like the Mexican character went through a transformation in that he viewed his homeland in a much different way once he got to Los Angeles and once he found out how hard it was. Um, and uh, how did that, what inspired this approach to character development? Am I stumping you again? No, no you're not, it's, no, it's, um, I think, I just haven't really thought about these things, you know, it's like, um, I, I think that I really had sympathy for that character, mm -hmm. is what it is. And okay. I mean, living here, we all see what everyone goes through, mm -hmm. all manner, shape, form of society, and that's a pretty obvious thing for most of us to notice, to see and notice. And I w didn't want him to be like just this caricature of, right. of the person. Mm -hmm. So what she's referring to is there's almost some like magical, magical realism in the story where the Mexican character in his mind goes back to Mexico in his childhood. Um, and um, it just, it helped me sort of soften the whole who he is and, mm -hmm. and the situation that he was in mm -hmm. and it made it more personal. Definitely. Personalized 
yeah. that character for me at least when I was writing it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, I hope you guys all found out more about our very cool noir stories. Um, coming up next, we'll have a speculative fiction panel. And I don't have the names of all those people involved. <laughs> it's Cody. Sarah and Cody. And, oops, I, I that one's that. mine. Ah, Jude Marie. You want the short stool? You want the short stool? That. Wanna push that over? Is she gonna move in? No, you're already there. Hello everybody. This is the speculative fiction panel. Um, so there is a whole gamut of fantasy or uh, just all kinds of fantastical, which LA, why would you want to write anything about fantasy? It's kind of odd. Uh, so my first round of questions are going to be al along with um, why LA and why speculative fiction? So I'll start with Sarah. You're the first one on my list. Um, so your story um, deals with a gangster, if you will, coming across a very fantastical mariachi guy who has some very wise words for his young, troubled man, young man. Um, where, where did you pull the inspiration to have this sort of story? I found it really interesting how you are taking two very well-known caricatures, if you will, in LA, in, in, in the underbelly of LA, and um, created this very interesting, fantastical perspective of it. What, what about Los Angeles? What about that part of town that led you to write that kind of story? Um, basically, I'm very inspired by my um, surroundings, and I worked as I'm. I do work as a preschool teacher, <laughs> and basically, this is this job that I got this year. It's the first time that I actually spoke just English. I'm usually speaking Spanish with the kids. I have to speak Spanish because if I don't, nobody understands me. <laughs> so um, just taking um, that story and like I can relate to the generational differences. Um, being born in Mexico and living there is very different than being from Los Angeles and being of Mexican descent. The, the influences, the kind of the setting, obviously every, like a lot of things are very different, but it's also a lot of shared cultural things as well, correct? And my parents are Southern, so I don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I identify with that. So it's kind of finding commonality and also acknowledging and really finding inspiration from the differences as well. Awesome. All right, Jude Marie Green, you are next on my list. Um, you've written a, a, a couple of stories for both volume and two, one and two, um, and they both have a pretty fantastical and, and speculative fiction themes to them. What about Los Angeles inspires you to write these kinds of stories? Well, the first volume I had, Endless Summer, which was uh, about the beach, about surf music and the beach. Mm -hmm. 
And the second volume is uh, Luigi Song, which is about, um, well, about whales beaching themselves and the beach. Um, LA, I think, is defined in, in the world's mind as being the beach. You know, California, the land of, of oranges and sunshine, and LA is where you go. You don't think of San Francisco, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as being the beach. So that, that's where I get that inspiration. Interesting. Yeah. To follow up on that, um, it's got a bit of a, a nostalgic feel because I remember growing up and going whale watching and, and going to the beach. Um, are, is there a lot of personal inspiration that you're pulling from? Is the, it feels like the beach is kind of your home, at least um, as far as the stories feel. Who, who me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, yes. I, I've done the grunion and the whale watching and the listen to surf music on the, on the pier in Huntington Beach. Oh, nice. Beautiful. All right, Cody, you are next. So your story, Face. Um, Thanks for the title, by the way. Oh, you're <laughs> I help where I can. <laughs> I can't finish a story, but I can help where I am. Um, your story, it, it, it does have a lot of common themes in Los Angeles. It's got the traffic grind. It's got the dating slash working slash commuting slash, um, what was the other line I had in there? Um, living. Trying to live, trying to live in Los Angeles, and yet you have this whole other element of his obsession, your main character's obsession with something that he finds very curiously underneath the freeway. Um, when you had all of these known themes that people may write about in Los Angeles, what did you want to do differently? What, what made you, what inspired you to write a story that maybe wasn't quite as cliche as people would think of LA? It, well, it didn't start out as speculative fiction at first. Um, that came as it was developing. Um, I think where I was going with the story was the sense that we think we know ourselves, we think we have our lives, we think we influence our lives when really we are influenced by forces that are outside of our control. Um, in life, that means economics, social norms, all of the things that, that constrain what we can and can't do with our lives. In fiction, what I like to do is is bring that into the kind of the speculative realm to to manifest those forces through magic or whatever, or or even science fiction and technology. Um, and so the character finds that his obsession, when it goes out of control, has no end point, and it's it's uh, and so there that's where kind of a, a twist comes in. But um, yeah, I, I find when I'm writing a story, if it's going in a direction that feels very familiar, that I resist mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's helpful for me creatively to explore those paths. I wanna know what if something different happens. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right, A.S. Inglis, you're next. Your story has a very, very old school fantasy character or caricature in your story. Um, can we reveal what it is? It's a werewolf. Um, I think you did say that earlier. But um, I was hoping that the big reveal would happen during my panel, but we ruined it. Um, I'm sorry. So in, in, in a sense, well, you are now taking this old school um, fantasy caricature and making it a, an urban uh, fantasy, a real urban fantasy. And, and what you had a really interesting twist of what uh, who the people were that this now vigilante character is um, going after. So what about Los Angeles led to 
um, or led into what your story is of, of bringing these, this classic character type and this Los Angeles vibe? What, what helped you bring that two together? The character came secondary. Um, it was the setting, it's Griffith Park. I love Griffith Park. The first time I went there to the observatory and I was up top with my son and I looked out and it was later in the day and the sun was setting and it, all the cars just looked like lava. And I thought this such beautiful thing, this horrible traffic <laughs> is so beautiful from up here. And then you look around and there's all these trees. And originally I didn't know she was gonna be a werewolf. Hmm. I wanted her to be a monster mm -hmm. because her, she felt trapped which is another, you know, sometimes you feel trapped in this town. And we go to Griffith Park to get away and pretend we're not in the city anymore. And we go hiking in the trees. So her being trapped in this form, in this life that she didn't necessarily want, but using that to do something positive. So using this horrible gift that she doesn't want that tore away from parts of her life she didn't want to be torn away from to eliminate negative people in town <laughs> in a way where no one's going to ever suspect well there's there's specifically negative people though was that they something are, there was that are. something that you intended to do they are because of things that happened with her mm -hmm. with her friend mm -hmm. um but yeah no they're they're negative people and you know you meet those people and you can't really do anything about it <laughs> and no one's going to suspect that a dog attack. There's so many coyotes in this town, no one's <laughs> gonna suspect a dog attack. And no one's gonna think, oh, it's a werewolf, cause yeah, come on. So, yeah. Love it. Um, real briefly, I'm gonna ask one, everybody one more question. We'll start with you since you're holding the microphone. Um, what about your stories tells something about Los Angeles that people outside of Los Angeles may not know or, or be unfamiliar with? Like location or theme. It could be how it could be influence of surroundings on a person. The love hate of this town. <laughs> There's this I have this Go great on. love of this town and I hate this town <laughs> so much on days. But I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave it. I like the chaos. I like the crazy. I like that I can go to Griffith Park and ignore it. I like that I can go for a hike, and then I like that I can be here, and here I am again. Or it's this close, just look up the street, and there you are. And, mm -hmm. But then here I'm back and around everybody, so I like that. I like Love that it. balance. The duality. Like, yeah. Yeah, of this town. lovely. Yeah. Sarah, what about your story it tells us something about Los Angeles we wouldn't know? Uh, you have to hustle here. <laughs> Sometimes you have to have two to three jobs. You gotta really move it. <laughs> lovely, Cody? This might be widespread knowledge, mm -hmm. but you can find male-identifying queer witches in LA. If you is need that a them, fact? they're here and they're here to help you. Is there is there a Yelp page for this? All right, June Marie. How can I follow up on that? <laughs> um, well, then somebody else's story in the anthology uh, wrote something that just really stuck with me. He was talking in kind of a negative way about a character, but he said that she's gonna be in flip-flops for life and there's just a magnetic draw to the beach. It's like, yeah, that's what I feel. And the beach has so much culture. Mm. Now, and a lot of times you hear, oh, LA doesn't have any culture. Actually, LA has like 450 different pots of culture. You just have to find them. Mm -hmm. And the beach has a great melting pot of it. Yeah. Love it. Beautiful. Thank you, everybody. That concludes our panel. Questions?
you have a thing? Yeah. We are going to move now into the Q&A section because that's, I'm sure you guys are all just burning with questions. Um, for any of our panelists, if you, I don't know if you have anybody specifically you want to ask a question of or if you would like to ask any overall reaching questions, our contributors want to make their way through the thick on the way back up here. Anyway, does anybody have any questions about the anthology, about submissions, about anything? Inspirations? Anybody? Yes. Hmm. You want to you want to bounce that one? Gabe and I have been. Oh, um, Gabe and I have been running a writers' critique group for about five years. Um, that sometimes meets at the Silver Lake Library and sometimes meets at the one of the Pasadena libraries. Um, and so through that, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. But also a lot of the contributors too. Sarah's part of that. Axel's part of that. Nick um, is another part of that. So um, that's there is like you know there's one of the things that's kind of also a little bit unknown about LA is there's a huge community of writers here. Any day of the week, there's like six or seven events where you can hear a writer speak. So um, part of the challenge is just getting out there and connecting with other writers. Um, we met each other at Indie Author Day. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, most of us I think probably has a story like that of how we connected. But it also happens that it, um, a lot of us met after the stories were accepted so a lot of the submissions come in blind, and we, the three of us, look through them and talk about them, and then we make the final decision. We say, hey, yeah, like you're part of it, cool. Um, so I met a lot of of the contributors this year when we got a we did a meet and greet to just say, hey, you know, like now we're we're linked <laughs> for life, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Uh, let's get together and like say hi. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. That was my uh oh. Anybody else? Yes. Um, was there anything uh, in the stories that you guys read as people selecting the stories that you found surprising about LA? That like, I thought I didn't know that about LA, or I didn't, I've never experienced that myself. Well, you you would be amazed at at the wide genre and and just the types of stories that people were telling. Um, I found Sarah's to be particularly mind blowing because um, she's talking about this. What was the location of yours again? Um, Boyle Heights, Mariachi Plaza in Boyle Heights, um, and you know, I don't spend a whole lot of time down there to be perfectly honest. So, but you know, you know that it was just a, it was a very um, interesting perspective, interesting outlook on on that that culture down there. Did you guys find any particular stories that were? I don't know much about beach culture, so I really, I really dug Nolan's story. <laughs> Mouth Bay. It's it's South Bay, but everyone gossips, so that's why they call it Mouth Bay. And the the tone, just it, you you should read it. It's it made me crack up. You're gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, someone has another question. Yes. Mm. You're gonna be here all night. Yeah. <laughs> my parents have a picture, a picture book that I drew when I was five, and they show it to all my boyfriends. But now I'm married, so that has stopped. 
I, you know, I, I, the way I think about it is there's like creative inspiration when you feel impassioned to write, and then there's the very, very unwise decision to try to make it your career. Um, and so part of it's like when you reach a point in your life where you're like, there's no other option, I must do this before I die because I want my work to be out there and have a legacy. That was for me kind of where it came mm -hmm. from. Pass it on down to those guys. Uh, for me, it was just always in the back of my mind, but I was always afraid to exercise it, especially when I was getting into college and I was being forced into a major by people paying for my tuition. Um, and then when it turned out I wasn't quite the business major they had hoped, uh, I just said I'm majoring in English and then began to pursue what I'd always wanted to pursue, which was just a lifetime of reading comic books and reading uh, novels, commercial novels, Stephen King, whatever, just to get me my foot in the door. And then after 15 years or 10 years, starting to see the hard work pay off and having a novel out and then having publications like this with a, gr a great group of people that uh, are in your city and, they're, and we're all around you, you know. It's, it's a really cool collaboration to be a part of. Well, um, I I always wanted to write, but I never really, you know, did it. So um, about three, four years ago, I decided to just take classes and start trying to write, and and uh, in English too. So it was, <laughs> you know, additional challenge, um, and um, you know, I, I think it's I think everybody can be a writer. Everybody has something to say, something they want to say, something they want to express, uh, should be a writer, you know. So um, there is nothing holding anybody back from doing it. And it's, uh, it's a lot of hard work, but it's also a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, I probably could say that I've been a storyteller my whole life. Um, it's just, as Cody was saying, figuring out a way to make it work for you is the hardest part about it. Um, and I'll, I've been writing all different kinds of things. Um, but as, uh, as my fellow writers will tell you, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's not a glamorous life by any means, but the whole point of being a writer is if you have a story that you have to tell, then you have to tell it. And you'll put in the work, you'll put in the hours and the years and the find somebody who's going to, or hopefully some people that will put up with your bullshit through the whole process, and eventually you'll get there, and eventually you'll have a story done. Um, I started to get serious about writing um, while I was teaching high school, because it was kind of like, I have to be really good at this to teach it. So I started writing on the side, like, pretty significantly, like, during, during that time period. I was like a late reader. Um, so basically, I don't like people calling me like stupid or saying I can't do something. So I would like sit in my room, like on my grandma's couch and just read, read, read. And I read like a lot of speculative fiction, like a lot of Mary Poppins, a lot of like Sir Lancelot, The Wizard of Oz. So I started like going from wanting to read stories to wanting to um, very early on, I would say like six, wanting to actually create my own stories that are very similar to what I was reading. I've always written since I was seven. Um, it was escapism. 
so I started writing escapism. <laughs> um, you become a writer when you decide you become a writer. So if you're out there and you're struggling to write and you hate your stuff, it's because you love your stuff, so keep writing. The only way you're not going to make it is if you quit, so just don't quit. Um, I, I guess I've pretty much sort of always written, but I've never applied myself and kind of what several people have said. I just decided like four or five years ago that I was going to be serious about it and really, you know, put forth the effort to do it and that's kind of where I am now. So. Not really sure how to answer the question. I mean, like pretty much everybody else here in the room, I write, I've written since I've held a pen to paper and I guess everybody else here has done that too, right? What, what you're thinking when you ask when did you know you're a writer is when you actually created a story. And possibly the first time I, I told my big brother off, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've killed him in several stories, by the way. So. Nice. There was another question. Oh, yes. Yes, that would be the one of the next topics. I think so. The three of us just got had a little discussion today. We we're saying uh, August first, mm -hmm. um, and all the details will be on our website at www.maidenlawwriters.com. I have some uh, bookmarks with all of that information, also. So if you want any of that, come get one. Yeah, um, I would just say like we're also probably going to keep that open for a few months. So, you know, we'll say, yeah, yeah, thank you for your submission. We, we're going to read it, um, but you won't hear back from us on, like, acceptances or any of that for a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we do want to read it. Yes, we do. <laughs> Please send it to us. Any other questions? Yes. Absolutely. I, I, you learn by mimicking. You learn anything by mimicking. Just putting a couple of words together in a sentence, you learn how to do that just by reading it enough times. Um, for me personally, I don't have any authors that I that I still try to emulate. I think for me, it's... What's that? Being inspired, yeah. Um, but in a lot of what's interesting, at least for me personally, is, is I because I read a, a broader spectrum of material, I pick apart different pieces of what I really like about each individual author, each individual style or genre, and I, and I pulled all those together to, to really thread something more unique if I can. You know, that's, that's my goal anyway. Anybody else want to answer that question? I actually have like a, I like for all of my pieces to kind of have a very different style or a very different kind of mood, so I actually like have a soundtrack. Like I put together like some songs, like a group of songs that just puts me in the mood that I want my piece to reflect. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think we would be here if we were a full-time writer. <laughs> I edit scientific documents. <laughs> well, yeah, D define full-time writer. <laughs> um. Uh, is anybody a full-time, can anybody, is anybody quit their day jobs yet? No? No, unfortunately not, unfortunately not, yet. Stay tuned. Yeah. Right? Yes. 
Um, uh, Cody mentioned before, there's the LA Writers Critique Group.com. LA Writers Critique Group, it meets at two different locations. I'm part of that group as well as Made in LA. And we have a really big network people coming in and out. We have a few members here tonight that are, um, that are supporting us. Um, and we have a lot of people come to our meetings and get feedback and it's, uh, it's fun. You should come. Yeah, there are a number of, uh, if you go to meetup.com, you can look at, you know, writer's workshop and you'll find a lot of different avenue for that. But personally, I'm just mostly with the group here. I'm not active in any current writing <laughs> groups, unfortunately. Thank you for your confession. Uh, yeah, I would say there's, there's tons of writing uh, and craft workshops. I would also say that one of the reasons we came together for Made in LA was that there was a lack of kind of when you take that next step, when your book is out there, when you're looking to, to figure out, okay, what do I do next? That is a little bit harder to find. You know, there are great, there are great groups like Women Who Submit and others and Lambda Lip um, that are around that you can join. So, you know, there's no shortage of those. I just want to give a plug here. Sorry. A plug here for uh, GLAWS. It's uh, Greater Los Angeles Writers Society. Um, I'm not a member. It's online. They, I'm a speculative fiction writer. They, I'm, I go into it with that uh, idea, but... Um, they do support every kind of uh, writing that there is out there, and they have weekly meetings all over the area, all over the county. We have time for maybe one more question. That is my complete aim every time I pick up a pen. <laughs> you know, Cody's, Cody's looking at me funny. Um, I, that's <laughs> my resting face. <laughs> this is resting Cody face. Am I, am I the only one who was actually born here out of this group? You know, you've been, oh, that's right, you're born here. You are. Okay, so between, oh, good. Why didn't you raise your hands? Don't make me hanging up here. Don't leave me hanging. We went to high school together. <laughs> True, we did. <laughs> when, when you're when you're ahead of me, I forgot that story. Why do you made it up? Trying to move away from Monrovia, you know, we're separating ourselves from Monrovia. Um, do any of you guys want to answer that question? From LA, if you do, you want to? Well, I just I was wondering what the perspective would be on that because if if you had something to say about that. From well. LA. I'll, well, okay, so I'll, I, I want to say one thing to that before I pass it off. One thing I find really interesting about Los Angeles is because, I mean, if, especially if you're in this part of town, you could very easily say that 50% at least of the people that live here are transplants. And if it's the same thing but like the greater part of the United States, right? There's so many people that are from other places that come here. So what's really interesting is 
it doesn't really matter, in my opinion, if you're from here telling a story about LA or if you're coming in here from LA because everybody's kind of doing the same thing and intermingling and making LA what it is, which is really cool. No, that, that's, that's a great perspective and it's a similar perspective. I'm a fourth generation Angelino. Um, I've been here my whole life and that's the great part about it is I could walk every three blocks, I can have a new experience every three blocks, I can have a completely tolerant world within my backyard that the rest of the world doesn't really know about. But it's my responsibility to articulate that in my work, regardless of what genre or what voice or whatnot I want to put it into. And the best part about it is that I have no choice because it's the only thing I know how to do. Um, so whether you're from somewhere else or whether you're from here, we're all having the same perspective we're just looking at it through a different lens and um, it's up to you to like put the pen to paper and and figure that out you know would you mind repeating someone else's story to tell. I'm a speculative fiction writer, and my story in uh, number one was actually about an alien who's hooked on uh, surf music. So it's a different person. That's pretty cute. But <laughs> it's, it's, it, but, but, well, as a writer, when we're delving into a character, you know, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna start writing us, right? All the, every, every character we write to start with is us. And then we say, wait a minute, you know, that character in that situation is actually not going to react the same way that I react in that situation. At least I hope so. Um, um, so then we write somebody else, and there might be somebody who reads it, who picks it up and says, oh, my God, that's my story. Why are they writing my story? And that's part of the problem with being a writer is that we're writing a story, and we see it in our heads, and we have that writer's imagination happening. And we put it on paper, and other people read it. They're reading a whole different story, whole different story. And that's okay. That's why you get critique groups go out there, and they read the story, and they discuss it, and what's going on with it. Unless there's any burning questions, I think we're going to wrap. I'm going to give you a couple dates to put on your calendar if you're interested in actually hearing us read our work, um, which, you know, I'm interested in us doing that. So um, on August 9th, we'll be at Stories, Books, and Cafe. That's at 7.30. On August 24th at 7 p.m., we'll be at Gatsby Books. At September 14th at 3.30 p.m., we'll be at the Silver Lake Library. September 19th at the Last Bookstore at 7.30. October 3rd, 7.30 book show. Um, and you're probably not going to remember all that, but it's on our website. So that's where I was reading it from. <laughs> but I guess with that, I want to thank everyone for your time and for coming out to celebrate volume two. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.